This is the Primary Languages Network podcast. It's an absolute delight to introduce this podcast. Um, Therese Comfort is somebody I've known for probably 20 years. I worked um, with her as a regional trainer when she was a national trainer and lead of primary languages for the National Centre of Language Teaching. Um, She's a wonderfully inspirational, calm, quiet and reflective primary school teacher who over many years since 1970 onwards has um, worked with primary languages, with French, with primary children across the curriculum and has really developed wonderful ways for all teachers, specialist or non-specialist, to be able to work with primary languages and to encourage every child to learn a language. Okay, three, two, one. So we, uh, I made the, the journey across the MCC2 uh, this morning. Um, Huddersfield threatened to be um, a little, a little he- more hellish than it actually turned out to be in terms of the traffic. And I, I got here more or less on time for, for, for this interview today with Therese Comfort. Therese Comfort. Man, 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 I got, the, got it wrong straight away. Therese Comfort. Um, and we are here now in, in York. So hello, Therese. Hi, well, hello, and welcome to York. And don't worry about getting my name wrong. <laughs> People have been getting my name wrong all, all my life, and it, it, it was because it was a really unusual name to give um, uh, somebody who was born in the 50s. Yeah. And uh, my, I, I got my name because my mother was expecting a boy, she didn't have a name for a girl, and she was reading a, a magazine story, and the heroine was named Therese, and uh, she, she loved the look of the name, but she herself actually didn't know how to pronounce it. Okay. So I've had lots of different <laughs> different um, interpretations of my name, but in fact it's Therese, and I found that out when I started to learn French at the age of 11. Okay, wow, so you found out the true pronunciation of yes, your name I did. at the age of 11. Yes. So yeah. I feel a little bit better about myself now. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's, it's probably the fact that you rem- I reminded myself in the car several times, and you reminded me as I came in, so I've just cursed <laughs> myself to, to get it wrong straight away, but there we go. It's all, all done now. So um, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, we've been look. We, you know, when when I spoke to Janet about who we could potentially interview, she was the first. You were the first, sorry, on our list oh, of people to have a chat with. Yeah. So it's a pleasure to come over and um, find out a bit about yourself. Well, I'm delighted to have been asked. That's that's very kind of you to yeah. say that. So let's go right back to the start with yourself and teaching, and um, maybe even before then. Did you have? Where did you find your love of languages, maybe? Was that before teaching or was that during? Or I think that I always had a love of everything French from the age of about 11 because that was there where I had the teacher, Mr Davis, who told me about, you know, he used to pronounce my name, Thérèse, in a very French way. And uh, just from, from, from that time, I think I really enjoyed learning French and and speaking French and I had a French pen friend um, from the age of about 14 and I would go and visit her Uh, and I became quite a young age a a Francophile so and I'd always planned that I was going to marry a Frenchman and go and live in France and of course you know that actually didn't happen Um, but I then decided that I wanted to be a primary teacher and so I went and trained to be a primary teacher at Nottingham teacher training college where they were part of a national initiative to introduce French 
into every school in England. Mm -hmm. It was only French. It wasn't a language. It was just French. And the college that uh, I went to were very much part of this initiative. And so as part of my primary teacher training, there was an element of teaching French in the primary school. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had to go and do uh, a stint in France. Uh, it, it wasn't like studying a degree. It was very much a generalist's course. But there was a little bit of a specialism in, um, in, in learning French and teaching French. So I was incredibly lucky and I did all my teaching practices in schools where French was part of the curriculum. Okay. And the children would have 20 minutes a day, which is incredible. And this was back sort of in the early to mid-70s. Uh, the only thing that was very different is that the children were only allowed to do speaking and listening. They weren't allowed to see the written word and they certainly didn't do any writing. Mm. It, it, it was um, a methodology uh, that was part of a scheme called En Avant. And children did a lot of listening to tape recordings and identifying objects and things on this thing called a flannel graph, which was like giant fuzzy felt and used to have to carry this enormous board into the classroom, plus a really heavy tape recorder, and it was spool to spool, um, it was spool uh, tapes, and then put up these figurines on this uh, flannel board. Uh, lots of games, but it was, it was all speaking and listening. Okay. And so I was really enthusiastic uh, about starting my career and being able to use my French. But when I qualified in, in those few years um, that I was learning and, and training how to be uh, a, a French teacher and teach languages, there was some research that was being carried out okay. alongside this huge initiative in the country. And the research, the conclusion of the research was that children who were learning French in primary schools uh, were absolutely no extra benefit to those who didn't. And okay. they, did some, they did some tests at the <clears> end of the year, the first year at secondary, the children were at the same level at French as those who had had no French at all. Of course, it was pretty suspect because in fact, you know, did they, how were they reacting and responding to the children who'd arrived with four years of, of French primary mm -hmm. school. Uh, I wasn't really, I, I wasn't, I, I didn't know very much about the research at the time, but people have talked about it since, and it was, that they took the whole class right back at the beginning. So they didn't build on the children's progress. So right, so the, they started from scratch anyway. Yeah, which is very much, which is still happening. Yeah. And also as well, okay. they felt that what they were testing them on actually wasn't the sort of things that the children had been learning about in primary school. They, 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 they tested on them on an awful lot of things which involved reading and writing, and of course they hadn't done any of that. So, it, it, but, but the, the result was, it was almost, uh, uh, schools immediately stopped teaching French. Uh, which was a shame. Mm. So there I was already and fired up, qualified mm. in 1975, I qualified, and I waited until the early 1990s to be able to put um, all my passion about French teaching into practice. Mm. 
And that came about really because um, in York there was, it was another teacher training, it started off as a teacher training college and at the time, and it's since become the University of St. John. And there was somebody uh, working, Anne Gregory, who was passionate about languages in primary schools, and she was offering a course, I think she was only one of two, that was running a course to train primary teachers to teach French. And somehow or other, we found each other. Okay. And so she gave me lots of encouragement, and it coincided with a new head teacher who had a house in France, and he was very keen on... Uh, children in his school learning languages. Mm -hmm. So in the very early 90s, I, I had the luxury of being able to teach um, French as part of the curriculum to years five and six. Okay. So he moved me up. We had mixed age classes. He moved me up from a mixed age three, four class to a year five, six, because he, he was pretty passionate about it, but he wasn't convinced that the school could sustain four years. Mm -hmm. So we just taught languages to children in years five and six as part of the curriculum. And I had two other colleagues who had year five, six classes, and they were both confident enough with a little bit of support from me to have a go as well. Wow. And so that's, that's really where it started. And Do you think that the kind of the 15 years of just teaching between them. Do you think even though it was frustrating, it allowed you to consolidate your ability to be a primary teacher before you went into delivering French, or do you think you could have done it from day one? You, you, you could have taught French. Actually, that's a really interesting question. Well, I think what would have helped from the day from day one was that I would have remembered an awful lot of the games and the activities mm -hmm that I had seen when I was uh, training to be a teacher. And also, my French was much better then yeah, because I yeah. was you know, using it in the classroom. I had, had spent some time in France uh, and I was having a little, bit of a little bit of training during my teacher training. So it was, my French was pretty rusty when it came uh, to the 1990s. But what I think was very interesting, I really felt I, I knew about teaching primary school children. Yeah. And there's no doubt about it, when you start off as a primary teacher, there's so many things that you're getting your head around. I remember being totally floored by how to take a register. I'd never, I'd never taken a register before, and dinner money, all of those sorts of things. So I was confident in myself as a primary teacher when I did um, uh, start to teach languages. What was also very helpful was that we had absolutely no money for resources. Yeah. So I had to be very resourceful and use what we had in the primary classroom. And I was very familiar with the sorts of things we had in the primary classroom, um, what I could use, and also started, it was before people, and we didn't even have the phrase cross-curriculum, but, but realising that 40 minutes a week, which is, was my allocated time, wasn't really enough for children to build um, on their uh, language learning and to make real progress, I began to identify ways that I, as a class teacher, could squeeze in a little bit of language learning mm. it, it, into other areas. Which is strange that still today is 
what is happening in most schools. That's kind of the, the strategies that, which are good, good strategies. They are still thinking of how can we put yeah, it into. That, that's right. And, and I, I always think I had such a luxury in those days. First of all, I had a head teacher who was committed. Um, he didn't give me any money to help me get going. Uh, but actually, there wasn't anything around. Uh, there weren't schemes of work. There weren't resources around. Not really. Or, or nothing that I thought was better than what I could produce myself at the time because there was so little language teaching going on other than what was going on in private schools, in prep schools. And they would probably be using textbooks. Well, we just didn't have the money for textbooks uh, anyway. So So what resources did you use then? What did you do? What did I do? Well, because I I was working closely with Anne Gregory at the college, she had her ear to ground the ground of things coming up, and there was something called Pilot, which came from Kent. And that was um, some video material. It, it showed children, it had little 15-minute sessions on a theme such as pets or introducing themselves. It had video footage of little cartoon characters or of children uh, actually practicing French. And so that was a, a little sort of springboard for each lesson that I that I would use, okay. but I made it up. Yeah, I made it up. Yeah, and I would use things, um, you know, things that I had in my maths cupboard for number work. We made quite a lot of resources, but but I didn't have a lot of time, and I I didn't spend hours and hours doing fantastic flashcards. I just didn't have the time, and actually, I'm not terribly artistic, so making and drawing things is 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 not my forte yeah but you know you have you, you can go and get puppets and things from key stage one key stage one had story bags um so you could use little things that they had in the story bags for example they had a story bag about the enormous caterpillar so you know you could you could find that story in french and, and use those resources um and th- I just bring, would bring things in from home, from my own children, my children's clothes, if you're teaching clothes and yeah, colours. Yeah. And then gradually, it seemed just as I was teaching, there began to be a little groundswell of enthusiasm. And I, and I was put in touch with a group that across the country were people who perhaps like me had been part of the initiative back at the end of the 60s and early 70s and had hung on to the belief that teaching languages was a great thing to do and that primary school was the place to start. And so I would go, they would meet two or three times a year and I would go to these, they were incredibly talented and experienced people and they would begin to share what they used uh, for resources um, and ideas uh, and the group began to grow and grow until eventually there was quite a groundswell of people who felt they could approach, uh, or they uh, they approached Silk, the National Centre of Languages. In fact, this group then became part of Silk, the National yep. Centre of Languages. And they began to bend the ear of uh, the Department of, mm-hmm. of, of Education. And then um, in 2003, they launched um, an initiative called 
uh, entitlement for languages and a national director, Lyd King, was appointed. And very slowly, everything that we'd been working for began to be valued and people were be beginning to look at it seriously. Okay. And of course, when that happens, a little bit of money comes. Yeah. And, and Silt got some money to uh, fund... Um, goodness me, the good, the good Practice Project, that's right. And we were, I was given a little bit of money uh, on the understanding that they would monitor the progress and we had to um, identify different themes, different projects, and it would be monitored over two years and they would come and film us. Mm -hmm. And I think we, we looked at good classroom practice, we also looked at the issue of transition, um, so this part, I suppose this kind of links to, can you give any tips to some teachers in regards to how they can track progress efficiently in a, in a languages class? Because obviously you had to prove to somebody that it, progress was occurring and it was worth doing. So I suppose that you might have some good ideas, practical ideas on how you can really track well, that progress. I, I, I think there's been a lot of work. I think there's much more out there nowadays. Um, when I first started, I just had to go along with what I felt was progress. And I think some of the time I made quite a lot of mistakes and probably I thought progress was building up vocabulary. Yeah. And what I've seen as I've got older is it's actually what you do with that vocabulary. And I think as well as a primary teacher, well, or as, as any teacher of, of languages, you take a lot of the time the response of the children, so that you know that if the children are being restless, it's not naturally that you, you automatically have to feel you've got to get on the table and do a dance and make it all whiz bang and fantastic. Very often it's because they're, they're, they're ready for something a, a little bit more challenging. Okay. And, and I think that don't be frightened to, if you can, to look more closely at how that language works, compare it with English, tackle issues mm. such as gender of nouns, agreement of adjectives. Of course, you're not going to say, right, okay, today, children, we're going to be learning about agreement of adjectives. No. But you want to encourage children to talk about what it is that they're noticing about the sound of, you know, a, 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 a feminine adjective, for example, why does petit become petite? And actually children very often um, notice it mm. themselves. What is now available, um, there is, there are now actually documents which do give teachers some guidance. Yeah. And I don't know if it's helpful for me to mention where there's, there is something on the ALL website, you would probably have to join AWL, which is the Association of Language Learners, um, but it's it is it's also available for free on another website, the Ensemble website. It was part of a DFE project, which looked at progression and assessment, and it takes the national curriculum, it decides which objectives they think are suitable for each year. It also puts the gives a, those objectives a context. And, and then it gives some suggestions on what you might be hoping to achieve in speaking, listening, reading, writing mm. and grammar. 
at the end of each year group. It's, and I think it's very teacher friendly, it's non-threatening, and it also suggests ways that you can actually do some assessment, really on using activities that you would be doing in the classroom. Mm. For, and actually, from what you're suggesting as well, though, is that really it's, it's quite obvious where the progression lies. What you're trying to say is that once you've learned a base of vocabulary, well, then let's explore the, like a paragraph of writing and well, what's, change, what's changing with the vocabulary? What can we see that's changing? So it's, being, it's using what's in front of you, but trying to see the, all the outer edges of everything, see where the E's are being put and why that's happening. I, I think so. And I think it's... it's that fluency, it's, isn't it? It's, it's talking about language. And, you know, children in primary school these days, especially children in year five and year six, they're quite sophisticated. Yeah. In their, they like learning, being in their understanding. They yeah. love being detectives. Yeah. And I just think that we, we have to make sure that our language teaching is challenging for them in the way we want our maths and our uh, numeracy, our maths work to, to be challenging for, for sure. them. Uh, and I think what holds us back sometimes is an insecurity in our own language ability. And that's you know, that's always a, a difficult issue. I think sometimes we feel we can't explore certain grammatical points because we're not secure in them in ourselves. And that's when I think we have to reach out either to see what help we can find mm-hmm. online, in traditional grammar books, from secondary colleagues, or from other primary colleagues who are... Uh, a little bit, a little bit mm. more confident. So I will then, I will play a bit of devil's advocate here because I'm sure some teachers listening to this will be thinking, but I've got the English and my maths, and I've got the, you know, I've got everything else to worry about. I don't want to have to spend time expanding my ability to teach a language. What, yeah. what would your argument well, be to I, that? I, I, I completely agree. I mean, and I think it's very, you have to be very careful when you're passionate about something you have to remember that not everybody is going to be feeling the same and it's really important that what you're suggesting isn't unrealistic. But what I would say is that nobody enjoys being in a classroom when they feel really insecure with the subject Mm -hmm. knowledge, when they feel children are becoming restless because they're becoming bored. And how I can think about it is that I was really poor at design technology when that came in and I was teaching years, years five and six, as I said earlier. And I had, I, I, you know, I used to absolutely dread when we were doing design technology because I felt I was really naff. And, uh, and, and every year it was, you know, we just about got through it. Um, and, and I just realised I didn't want to be feeling like this every time we did this subject. So I went and, and saw, uh, got, made contact with a local design technology teacher. And what was embarrassing was that I had to sort of, you know, really admit just how poor I was. And I'd never heard of a cam. We had to, there was one project where you, you had to build a cam. I didn't know what a cam was. And you could see he was thinking, how can this woman have got to this age and not know what a cam is? I'll be in the same boat as you, don't worry. Right, okay. <laughs> I'm and, thinking now, what's right, a cam? Right, and he never, he, I, I am not, he, you know, and so he came and he 
it was brilliant. He was able to come and he came every week for six weeks and he taught this particular area of the D&T curriculum. And I sat in with him and I watched. And um, I can't say that overnight I became a fantastic D&T teacher and I'm not a fantastic D&T teacher. I never will be. But what I felt is that I, I, I learned something from him and, and from that I gradually built up my confidence and, and, and my skills because it was just that feeling all the time. It's just not a nice feeling. I, I would have done anything if somebody said, right, okay, you teach my French yep. and, and you, I'll do yep. your D&T. Do you think that, um, I mean, be absolutely honest here, but do you think that because you learnt D&T and had to learn how to do it, that then made you a good teacher at it because you understood from everybody's perspective of whether they struggle with it? Do you think you, you're... Yeah, I, th- I, 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 I think that's that's very true but what I realized is there were some children that were really ready to run with yeah, it and yeah, I couldn't yeah, run yeah, with okay. them and I, th- I think that you have to accept you know maybe it's to do with my age but you know I see some fantastic teachers where teachers are much more upfront about saying I'm not the expert here mm-hmm. we're learning together I don't know how to do that I'm going to really do my best to find out yeah. we're learning alongside yeah. together and I think that... There's I, power in that as well. I, I needed... I suppose I felt that I wasn't in control yeah. because of my uh, poor subject knowledge. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think there is. And I often think sometimes people, for example, make very good maths teachers who've really struggled with maths themselves. Yeah. If you get maths, you know, and you always have got maths... It's very difficult to see why can't they see this? Yeah. You know, what is it that's the, 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 the stumbling point? And so I, I'm sure there's an, uh, an, an element of that. And that's, but I still think that you, you have to feel secure enough, either in the knowledge you have, or to be confident enough to say, you know, I, I don't know everything, but I'm going to do my best. Uh, so that I can be good enough. Yeah, so I, I suppose it's going through the wall, finding a way through the wall as opposed to just turning around and going the other way. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Because yes. I think, I suppose, well, I mean, I, I assume you're incredibly, you see the value in, I see a massive value in children learning languages. I do. I, I, I I, I, I really feel that primary is, is the place to start. Um, everybody talks about children's enthusiasm. You, you, there are always some children actually who are less enthusiastic. Perhaps uh, they feel more inhibited or, or they're simply just not as interested. But I would say that the majority of children from a very young age love playing with language. They're interested in language, whether it's um, Mandarin, German, Spanish, French, English. They they love words. They're really interested in where words have come from, mm-hmm. um, and the similarity bes- between words. And then sometimes how completely different uh, yeah. the word is for something in German uh, 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 and English. But what I really feel with languages in primary school that we've we've got the ability if we can to sort of drip feed it 
throughout the week. We, we really know the children that we're teaching. If you are the primary teacher that's delivering the language, we really know the children that we're teaching. We know the ones that we can really, you know, just push that little bit more, the ones we have to go very um, carefully with. And we haven't got, we're not working towards a GCSE. So we can be uh, quite flexible, we can be creative. Yeah. And although we have to follow the national curriculum, it doesn't say the context. So if we want to look at languages by learning about the planets, we can do that. Yeah. And I think that's a fantastic opportunity and a real pleasure. And I feel alongside it, which is hugely important, is at a very young age, talking to children um, about the people who speak these different languages, showing them how people do things differently, how people do things the same, so that you're opening up um, their horizons. It's quite interesting in York because York is a very monocultural town. Um, and so an awful lot of the children don't meet other languages or meet people from different cultures. Okay. So we're, it's, it's, it's a really important part of, of, of their development. Oh, and the UK is just covered in different cultures and languages from everywhere, from football, you know, to um, what's in your cupboard, to yeah. the cars that are on the street. It's just so multicultural. It is. It, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, and, and children, you know, they're, they're, they like finding out about festivals and celebrations, but actually they're also really interested in the ordin ordinary things. You know, do children in Cher Germany take sweets for their snack? Yeah. What sort of things do they have for lunch? Why don't they wear school uniform? Why have we got to wear school uniform? And beginning to look at those things, those differences, those similarities and talking about cultures and, and you can do it uh, in with primary children. I would like to think at an age when they are less uh, rigid in their, their thinking. I'm not yeah. saying that children at secondary are rigid, but I just feel that they're very open and, and curious at a young age that they may be less so as they, as they get older. Yeah, I'd say from my observing in classes, what I see is that you can, if you can get in earlier, then you can make it more normal. Yes. But there, there still will become the time in year five and six where they start asking why. Why are we learning French and German or Spanish in our school? Why, why are we doing this? Yeah. And it's important to have an answer. Yes. Um, and it's whether it's to develop like intercultural understanding or whether it's you have a pen pal system in your school. And it's, it's to write to somebody. It's to find out about people. So it's important to have that reasoning why, because the question will come at some point, and rightly so. Yes. Why are we doing this? And it's also a way of finding out more about your own language. I think what doesn't help us as a country is that so often you hear the argument, well, ev well everybody speaks English. Yes. But there is, you can never, you know, um, share with people that absolute fantastic feeling when you are able to have a, a little conversation, whether it be in a shop, whether it be uh, you know sitting on a beach or going on a ski lift or meeting somebody at a campsite, where you are able to understand what they are saying or get the gist of what they are saying, and they can begin to un understand yeah, you. Absolutely. Uh, and I think 
you know, people in other European countries, they do, they, they speak very good English. But I think you can't begin to really get to know uh, people in another country or their culture if, if you don't have some understanding of, of, of their language. Yeah. So then it strikes me to, to ask the question, what are the key skills to teach in schools, primary schools and secondary schools? What are the key skills? Because and obviously there's listening and there's different language and there's vocabulary, but really it comes... You, I didn't learn any Spanish and then I found to taught, taught myself, but I have skills that I learned in French and German that I applied, you know, just common skills. So what are those key skills that you think are quite important? Well, like you mentioned skills? listening. I think listening is such a fundamental uh, skill to have. And I think that actually the work we've been doing on developing children's listening skills in primary languages has actually helped to sort of improve their listening generally. Mm -hmm. Because when I started teaching, there was, there was never any focus on listening. We thought children were listening if they were sitting quietly with their arms folded, yeah. where we do a lot of active listening. So I think getting children to really listen to those new sounds of, of, of a new language uh, uh, um, and get helping them to pick out key words to have the confidence to listen to a slightly uh, longer piece of text and try and work out the gist, that's a great skill yeah. for whatever language. That's, that's the, that is the one, isn't it? Especially mm. when you're going to a country yourself and try and speak it. Yeah. And they're speaking really quick. That's know. right. That's right. And and then and not to panic. No. You know that's what's great about primary children. They don't want to know what every word means. But you can you know read a story to them. Okay. Usually you're showing pictures, but you can say, "What do you think that means? What do you think that's about?" And you know they bring all of their knowledge of uh, storytelling and the, the formats of different stories. Um, they will bring all of that. But, but I, I think that, that listening is a, an important skill and, and that feeling of not to panic and, and also the ability to, when they are speaking, to have the confidence to, to have a go and, and to take a risk. And that's a really yeah. good ethos to build up. Um, young children aren't as self-conscious as they are as they're getting older and yeah. heading towards puberty. Um, so, you know, they're much more willing to have a go at making those strange sounds. And you can, um, and there are some strange sounds, some new sounds that they will have to get their mouths around. So, so, so really, I don't know if you would call it a skill, but it's, I suppose it's an approach to, 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 to be able to take a risk and have a go and know that they're going to have to make some different sounds in yeah. the new language. And also, it's much better to have a go than... Than, than to say nothing. From what the gist of from what you're saying there is, allow allow them to listen to 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 the language, yeah. whatever you're teaching, and allow allow them to explore it without giving them everything straight away. Yeah. It's allowing that pause in the lesson, which is a bit awkward and it's it's long and they're kind of waiting for you to give them answer, but it's getting them to be an active listener. That's right. So it's a, there's a skill essentially is like an active listening skill. That, that's right. And it doesn't have to be, um, you know, people talk about pace. And when we talk about pace, we always think it's got to be 
quick, quick, quick. Mm-hmm. And there are times for that, but sometimes it means the paces allow them time. Actually, and sometimes, actually, you're not asking them anything, just to really enjoy the sounds of a language. Yeah. Um, and was, listening hurts the most as well, in terms of, I, I remember learning Spanish, and after the first few weeks, after 30 minutes of speaking and listening in Spanish with people, my head was absolutely killing. I, I was struggling. I had to go, like, have a nap. I had to lie down. I, I went to bed early because it was just, like, so much information and you're constantly listening. Yeah, and they're concentrating. So yeah, it's, it's giving them... And then you've got to think, right, give the children more patience because they're, you know, they're even probably going to be working even harder yeah. to pick up those key, key yeah. phonics, especially yes. with French, yes. the amount of phonics that are presented. Yeah, but I, but I think, you see, probably you were an adult learner learning... Spanish, yeah, and you, you're probably more anxious because you 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 feel you've 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 got to try and understand this mm. because you've then got to go and I don't know do something on or you, or you've given yourself a limited time to learn Spanish. Was I think in the classroom the children actually it might be sometimes that they actually they, they listen and they switch off a little bit, but I I don't think that children young children get in. In such a stress about yeah, it, yeah. I, I think you have to sometimes give them something to do. So you have to give them perhaps something, uh, 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 something to listen for, a particular phrase or a particular word where they have to do an action or hold up a unifix cube when they hear this color or uh, um, uh, wave a strip of writing when they hear that particular word or phrase, a, a little strip with the word written on. I think you have to do that sometimes. And all of those things are very good because actually you can do uh, activities that involve everybody. Uh, and then you can see as a teacher, you know, who is it that's able to wave the strip of paper at the right time, mm. do the gesture. Um, well, one thing that um, when I was asking about you uh, with Janet, she mentioned about you is that you, you always thought about things in a very practical lesson, uh, lesson, uh, lesson basis. It was never... It was creative, but it was creative, but it was always practical in the classroom. It was always functional. Um, I think she's quoted when you spoke at our conference. It was a it was a tooth tooth fairy activity, and or, or something similar, something about a tooth fairy. And by the end of you speaking about it, most of the teachers in the conference were thinking, oh, "That's so simple, but it's yet yeah, so." That's right. I mean, it's just it's just about actually finding little ways that you can bring a little bit of language into the classroom and also that's at the right level for primary school children. Mm-hmm. And actually the tooth fairy, it, 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 it wasn't an original idea for me. It was something I saw from a really talented teacher called Carolyn in, in, in York. And um, she used to teach children in key stage one. And of course, losing teeth is a, is a big thing in key stage one. And so she used to always start her lesson by asking anybody, if they'd lost uh, a tooth and then if they had she'd have this little ritual where they would come out and she had a little door and they would knock on the door and behind the door was the the tooth fairy and uh, the child would show the tooth and they'd get a little silver coin with all very very simple language um, but it was fantastic and then I, I really became terrier-like and started at almost a PhD in the rituals of losing teeth across the country. I have to get a life, Will. But it was absolutely fascinating. Uh, children in Japan, if their lower teeth come, fall out, apparently they throw the 
teeth up in the air. And uh, if it's their top teeth, they throw the, the teeth down. <laughs> and then I was in Switzerland a couple of summers ago. I met a German family that we know quite well and their grandson, his tooth came out. And then we were talking about how he'll keep his tooth and put it in a box and all his baby teeth he will keep in a box and have with him all his life. Right. And his grandmother still had her box of baby teeth. So, wow. you know, so it, it's a little bit of language, a little bit of culture. And a little bit of excitement. It's, that, it's something new, isn't yeah. it? And that's what I see across the country when I go, when I was in, in my role after I, I moved on from being a primary class teacher to working with SILT, uh, the National Centre for Languages, because there was this big initiative then um, to make every child, give every child the opportunity to learn a language, and latterly it became compulsory as part of Key Stage 2. Um, but what I would see is, I would see some fantastic ideas because primary teachers are so creative. Yeah, I'd agree with that entirely. They're used to having to make do with sometimes not great resources, uh, admitting that they are very often jack-of-all-trades yeah. um, with perhaps interests in one or two subjects, but a lot of the time being very much a generalist. And in incredible things that they, they, they make the links. And although it's really nice of your mum... To, uh, for Janet to have said, um, you know, to have highlighted that I was always very practical. I think that what I, what I was doing is really what, what many primary class teachers did and are still doing. I, mm. I think that, yeah. you know, uh, it, it has to be practical. It has to be age appropriate um, because you soon know as a teacher uh, if, if it isn't. Yeah. That was going, that was a question I would I was really looking forward to asking was through from nineteen ninety to when you started delivering languages to now what 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 has tested time like what what approaches by people have really tested time obviously technology's changed and you know there's budget has changed yeah. but what has what can you tell in a teacher that's stayed consistent in a in good language practice would you say. It's a tough question. It is. I'm thinking about it. I'm, I'm talking. We were talking about giving children time to reply. I'm yeah. thinking about that one. I I I think what stays and what I admire so much is teachers really wanting to do the best by their children, so that they will try really hard to make sure what they're offering children is enjoyable, is engaging, um, is at the right level, um, and that they're taking the children uh, along with them. And that I see the enthusiasm that I had many years ago, I still see that, that, that enthusiasm on the part of the teacher and on the part of the children. Mm. I can't say I saw it in every classroom because sometimes, you know, somebody was really had would have their arm twisted to take the responsibility on for language teaching throughout the school when they really weren't that keen. They mm -hmm. had a lot of concerns. And so sometimes, very occasionally, you would pick up that um, the teachers were less enthusiastic. Yeah. But that's what I would really say that 
on the whole, teachers want to do the best by the children in their class um, and the enthusiasm. What has changed is that I think a lot of the, the feeling is now is that we're not just doing this because one teacher is particularly interested or because one teacher goes to France a lot. I think it's being taken much more seriously. Mm -hmm. We're not playing at it. People have recognised that children do need to see the written word. Um, they do need to have a go at writing. Um, I think that they realise it doesn't matter if they don't get everything right. Goodness me, when I'm learning a language, a new language, I don't get everything right. Mm. Uh, if I was going to get everything right when I, I'm in a country where I've got very little language, I'd, I'd, the conversation would be uh, passed by the, the time I had a point to make, would be long gone if I was waiting to produce the perfect sentence. So I think, I think those things have changed. And the, but the biggest thing, I think, is looking at grammar. Mm -hmm. Because that is something a long time ago we would never have dreamed of, of doing. Uh, and I think that's, that's a real bonus. Because I think children are curious about language and you can uh, discuss little bits of grammar as and when they come up with children. And I think it helps their learning, it helps them to see... Uh, how the language works, it makes them think about their own language. Yeah. And it stops you just teaching um, chunks of language for the sake of teaching chunks of language. And if we want children to begin to be a little bit independent, I don't see how we can do it without showing them a little bit how they can manipulate language mm. and how it works. Yeah. I, I suppose with all the with everything available on the internet now, there is so many different kinds of text you could show the children that they might be interested in. For example, for me, sport would have been something that would have just pulled me in and just showing little snippets of the journalist reviews to maybe the year sixes and saying, well, what can we try and yeah. figure out what they're saying about the yeah. French football team here? Yeah. Um, are they saying they played well? Are they saying they didn't play well? What verbs do we know? Yeah. So it is making that, it's trying to use what you have and see you've got, and actually seeing that you have a lot more than you think you have. Absolutely. In order to deliver a language. And I think you'd also be surprised, Will, at what then the children come up with. I've seen some incredible work uh, with some year six children in um, the Newcastle area in the northeast. And to be fair, the teacher that was working with them she was a primary teacher, but she was a French graduate, so she was very confident herself. But she was, they were looking at um, newspaper articles about the guy who'd walked across um, two buildings. Was it, did he walk across the Twin Towers? Yes, is the French, is the, Fr the yes. was he French? And he, he, he was the Twin Towers with the, he had a big uh, balancing stick, that's right. Yeah, that's right. There's a documentary on that. That's sure right. There was a documentary, and and she had got a variety because he got into trouble for doing he it. He did, yeah. He, the gosh, she got a variety of newspaper articles, and then she asked the children to have a look at a couple of paragraphs of the different articles. And I was, I was just amazed at what the children gleaned, um, gleaned from that. So, but the the key to that was it was a cool story. It was yes. it was exciting. Yeah. The pictures, the images created right. from that. That's right. So it's it's not the language that's exciting yeah. the children. It's the 
it's the, the it hook. Is. And we do have to remember that because sometimes I see children talking about pets that they've talked about in year three, they talk about it in year four. It's great then, but do they really want to be talking about it in year five yeah. and year six? They might want to be talking about animals, but do they still want to be saying, I have a pet? Yeah, I He's, like a cat. I like uh, you cats. Know, we, we've got to be really aware that, that, that uh, we're moving with the children's interest even if their the language level, you know, is sure. perhaps still quite, quite well, limited. And also, it's a, as key as it is to teach fundamentals, it's also good to throw them in the deep end once in a while, push them outside their comfort zone. Can you understand this? You know, don't just say, don't just assume they won't be able to understand it and go, what can we, what can we get from this text or piece of information? What clues can we get? Do you know, well, I hope you're doing this in primary class because you, you really know... You're really taking the words out of my mouth. Yeah. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we challenge children and, and we don't want all the time for them to be feeling um, insecure or anxious. But I no. do think from time to time it's great to give them, uh, to give them a, a real challenge. And then they show us just how far yeah. actually they can go. Because you can show the text, then teach the vocab afterwards yeah you can see yeah, and then then we can have another go at it that's right and then you can also, know in, you can introduce dictionary skills you know uh can they look up these words um you know so there's 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 so much that that's that's out there that's that's ready to do but i do appreciate you there are things that are ad hoc that that you know you're in the classroom you have an opportunity uh, suddenly to go down um, uh, uh, an unexpected path. But a lot of the time, the, the language lesson, like all lessons, depends on good planning. Yes. And, and yeah. that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's so time-consuming. Uh, but I think there's an awful lot out there that teachers don't have to start from scratch. There are so many schemes of work mm -hmm. that they can, you know, dip into, find what works for them, um, uh, that I don't, uh, you know, I, I, I think of when I first started, there was nothing. Um, and you did have to, it, it wasn't just in, it wasn't just in languages, it, an awful yeah. lot of the things you had to devise your own schemes of work. But I think there's a lot out now, so, there now, so don't reinvent the wheel. No. You know. Um, well, there's, there's, there's an argument to say there's too much now. <laughs> yeah. I, I always think that, that that's true but I think as you become more experienced what you often see is you don't feel if, if you're a teacher that's lacking in confidence you slavishly follow a scheme of work and however brilliant a scheme of work is it will never be exactly what you want no no and agreed. when you gain confidence and you can let go a little bit then mm. you can have a look at all that's out there and think actually that that's good in that scheme of work I'd like a bit more practice in that oh, there's a little bit more practice in that scheme yeah. of work. And, and in the end, you tailor make something that's right, not just for your school, but that group of children that you're teaching because every year your, your, your class is um, different. And, and I think once teachers feel, if they have got the time, that they can really begin not to slavishly follow something, I think that's, that's very empowering for them yeah. and, and it's progress. For them. For sure. It's uh, being critical and reflective.
and then planning on top of that <laughs> is yeah. is that is that process yeah. that I think every, most teachers make anyway is the driving home from work yeah. they will be reflecting upon every lesson whether they like it or not that's right you? and sometimes you know some, you've got things that happen in your sorry things that happen in your private life that just means actually that week you haven't got time to do anything other than what's been set down and and and, yeah. and you follow it and, and, and we have to be we have to be easy on ourselves as well I think so yeah I think that I, I totally agree and it's about for us as a company it's about trying to get everybody feeling more confident at delivering languages and realising that teaching something is so much better than teaching nothing yeah. and actually teaching something not fully correct is so much better than teaching nothing like okay your pronunciation isn't there but at least you're introducing them to the language. That's at least right. you're giving it a go. That's right. And you see, people worry a lot about pronunciation. And, and I used to, because I think my French, for a primary teacher, is, is fairly good. But I'm not a linguist. And sometimes I would have in groups of people that I would speak to, there would be good linguists. And yeah. I would know that sometimes yeah. I would get something not quite right. But actually, because of the internet now, I might not get it right. But that word that I've pronounced wrongly will come up in a song, it will come up in a conversation, it will come up on a DVD, it will come up on a podcast, it will come up so children will hear it yeah. and so will I and I think oh crikey got that wrong, right I must remember it's pronounced yeah. like this. Yeah. So I think you know um, we do our best, we try to get our pronunciation as you know as, as good as we can but it's not only us that the children are going to hear, mm. they, they're going to hear it these days there are so many things out there they're they're going to hear uh, that word pronounced properly for sure along the line. just it's just a, crucial to try and drop your not in a just everyone has an ego just try and drop your ego in regards to languages and see that children want to do it yeah. they really want to do it and when i see I, I go into schools and see non-specialists who are anxious and have been anxious but they are still delivering it and the children love it and it's and, and the, the, that to me is the, the gem there when I see an, a non-specialist delivering MFL to the best of their ability and the children loving it. It's like, wow, that is, that's something special because it's That's right, and, and very zone. often, what we always, as primary teachers, the first thing we do is we do ourselves down. We say, oh, well, my pronunciation isn't good. Sometimes totally forgetting. Okay, the pronunciation may not be brilliant, but the activity that they've designed yeah. is fantastic and sometimes knocks spots off perhaps somebody else who's got brilliant language but is less creative. Yeah. Um, I think that what your company is able to do is to listen to these teachers, obviously to acknowledge what they're doing is fantastic and as you say they are really having a go themselves and giving their children the opportunity and then to point them in the direction of where they can go to help their language in small ways, um, not involving huge amounts of time, so that they do build up their confidence. Yeah, absolutely. Because we don't want to feel, people don't want to feel anxious, they don't want to be nervous. Oh goodness, Janet's coming into my classroom, mm. what's she going to be thinking about this we, we we want to move on a, a a little a little bit from that and i know that janet is brilliant at reassuring teachers 
but they need to know that they're not alone. There's lots of stuff out there yeah. that, 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 that can help them, time willing. No, for sure. We like, we want, I know Janet is as passionate as you about seeing a teacher first learn how to teach it and then go all their own way with it. Yeah. She absolutely wants to see people going off tangent in terms of delivering languages and because it's then they, they then they find their enthusiasm for it because oh we can do the great british bake-off now yes. or we could do the eurovision song contest uh, and that's when it becomes really primary that, yeah. that's what we do in primary you know we do the great british bake-off the eurovision song contest yeah. we're doing all those things all the time uh, and it, it it's it's that's what's so brilliant about languages in primary school. Yes. But we need to have the confidence to know we are good teachers of primary children. We can get a bit better at our language. Yeah. Uh, but don't let's don't let's lose sight of what we're really good at. A de- um, uh, deputy head I was speaking to who spoke at one of our network meetings a couple of weeks ago was um, he said that they did they did they do these massive languages days. I mean, it's huge for Spanish. And it's cra- it's crazy what they do. They make the decorate the hall, and they get like seven hundred people going round and to view it. It's what they create is amazing. But one of the main reasons why he does it is to excite Key Stage One. They don't do it in Key Stage One, but the right. main reason is to make Key Stage One think, yeah. "Oh, this is Spanish. <laughs> this is what's going on in Spanish. Like, yeah. I can't wait to start learning Spanish." Fantastic. So yeah. it is, and I never thought about it that yeah. way, doing the languages days for that reason. But yeah. just to li- like. Janet, my mum, she did used to do a year six um, presenta- um, show when I was in primary school and everyone wanted to be in the show. Yeah. Even though we did the same songs every single year, <laughs> yeah. everyone wanted to be the vampire. Or the, so it's, it is that. You want to yes. present the language and excite it in the primary yes. way. Yeah. So then the rest of the school are going, oh, I wouldn't mind a yeah. bit of Spanish. Yeah. Don't mind doing a bit of French. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And seeing it as, and also sometimes, you know, it's a big leap from key stage one to key stage two. For, for children. Uh, coming from year two to year three, the, the curriculum really does step up a big notch, I feel. But it, that's also why this is something really exciting yeah. to, look, to look forward to and something you'll be doing um, in, 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 in Key Stage 2. Yeah, wonderful. On that note, I've got a few f- concluding questions to ask you that I'll ask, I ask everybody in the podcast. So what's your favourite day of the week? Saturday. Saturday. What's your favourite time of the day? Tea time. Tea time. Saturday tea. Oh, there might be an American news. So tea time is what time? Oh, so American so I listening. suppose late afternoon. Late afternoon. And uh, what's your favourite month of the year? May. May. Because the, the, the summer is just starting. Yeah. It's all to come. So Saturday evening. Late afternoon. Saturday late <laughs> afternoon in May is your favourite kind of... Yeah time of year uh, what's your favorite food my favorite food is Indian food Indian food and what's your favorite music or album or artist Joni Mitchell Joni Mitchell and blue okay brilliant right that that that's all for today thank you very much for letting me come and, and for the podcast I think it's been brilliant it's a nice been conversation very happy to do it well and just talking about it to you has really sort of made me reflect and think back on just what a pleasure and a privilege it's been for me to be able to have shared my passion for languages and that sounds a little bit corny but yeah uh coming all that way from the young teacher trainee to where I am now and and I I I still I still want 
to go out and teach languages. So is anybody out there can offer me a job that lives in York, I'd love to come and, and, and teach French. And I do a bit of German as well. Okay. Well, right, thank you very much. Okay. This is the Primary Languages Network podcast.